Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Stephen, a man of God. All right, so as we have been teaching through this book of Acts, you know if you've been with us the last couple months that God has been moving mightily in his church. And so back in the Gospels, you remember Jesus made a promise. He said, I will build my church. And now we're in Acts, and he's actually fulfilling his promise. Jesus is doing what he said he would do. And so at the end of the Gospels, the Son of God goes up at his ascension. But in Acts, we see the Spirit of God coming down on the day of Pentecost. And on that day of Pentecost, something brand new was born. The, in the Greek, the ecclesia, literally the called out ones, the bride of Christ, the church. And so after the church was born, uh, it, it began to grow, not just a little bit, it began to grow a lot. Where we are in the Bible right now, the church of Jerusalem is numbering in the thousands of people. And a lot of people means a lot of ministry. And so the apostles, the leaders of the church, they can't even begin to keep up with all the ministry that's going on in the church of Jerusalem. So what they did is that they had to learn to delegate ministry, delegate tasks to different people, uh, faithful people in the church. And so if you remember, it's been four weeks since we've been in the book of Acts because we had Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And then um, last week, Pastor Will preached. And I haven't heard the sermon. I heard he did a great job. And so shout out, thank you to Pastor Will uh, for doing a great job teaching the word of God. Can we thank uh, your executive pastor over ministries? And so the last time we were in Acts, we see that one of the ministries that these apostles delegated was a ministry to the widows. And so to ensure that no widow went hungry, apparently they set up a food distribution line uh, there at the church um, every single day, and, and the widows would come and they would make sure that they got a decent meal. Now, to make sure that the ministry ran smoothly, if you remember, the apostles appointed seven men to oversee that ministry. And one of the guys that they picked, one of the guys they appointed to serve the widows was a man named Stephen. And Stephen's gonna become center stage now for the rest of chapter six and all of Acts chapter seven. And so because the apostles were able to delegate ministry to faithful people like Stephen, they were able to focus on two very important things. The apostles, because they delegated ministry, we're able to focus on the word of God and prayer, okay? And so by way of review, because it's been a month since we've been in Acts, I want you to go back to Acts chapter six and verse two. So right now, if you're looking at Acts six, two, just say amen. All right, so in verse one, there's a problem in the widow's ministry, and then somebody has a bright idea, well, the apostles should go down there every day, and they should run the ministry. How many of you know that not every bright idea in the church is from the Lord? Okay, and so the apostles, in verse two, they summoned the, the full number of the disciples, and they said, and I quote, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, 
All right, now, it's not, as I said four weeks ago, because they were so big and great and they were above that ministry. It's just because there's only so many hours in a day. And so preaching and teaching and studying uh, the word of God and prayer takes a lot of time. And so they tell them in verse three to pick out seven men and we're gonna appoint them to this duty. And then verse four, the apostle said, but we will devote ourselves, here's the two things, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they picked seven men. You get their names in verses five and six. And I want you to look at the result of this delegation within this local church. Verse seven, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What was the result of their decision to delegate? A very important principle for you today by way of review. And that is that when the church leadership delegates ministry to faithful people, two things happen. The word of God increases and the number of disciples multiplies. And did you know that we have seen that principle play out in this local church in the last 15 years. When we started this church on April 25th, 2004, um, so just a little over 15 years ago in a house with just a handful of people, um, we at that point made a decision that we're gonna teach the Bible. And so what we did is we were able over the years to delegate a lot of ministry to a lot of people. And what that did was it freed me up to be able to focus on prayer, on study, on teaching, on preaching, on leading leaders. And because of that, we've seen in our church the word of God increase in the lives of many people. And we've seen the number of disciples multiplied greatly over the last 15 years. Here's why that happened. Lots of reasons, but here's one of the reasons why that happened. It's because many of you, hundreds of you, over the years have made a decision to step up and serve in this church. And because you do what you do, I'm able to do what I do. In fact, if you did not do what you do, I could not do what I do. And so if you're out there and you're doing this thing called serving in the local church, I wanna say again from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You're freeing me up to be able to study, pray, preach, teach, and to lead leaders. And so let's thank all those who are serving again in our church. So important. So important. Listen, you've heard this phrase before, but it's true. Teamwork makes the dream work. And we're seeing it happen. And by the way, if you missed that message from four weeks ago, it's called The Labor of Love, and I gave it on April 7th, and so you can go back and download the podcast. Now, before we get to verse eight, I wanna show you something very cool that happened at the end of verse seven after this decision to delegate. Okay, so look again at Acts 6, 7. It says, the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Check this out. And a great many of the, what's the word? Priests, right? The Levites, specifically those of the family of Aaron who served and did their priestly duties in the temple of Jerusalem, which is still up right now. It doesn't get destroyed till AD 70. 
And so a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The idea there is the Christian faith. Now, let me jog your memory. You remember that right now, the apostles are preaching and teaching on Solomon's porch. Do you remember this? And so you got the big, beautiful temple. You got this giant court of the Gentiles. And then you got, remember the big hallway with beautiful colonnades called Solomon's porch. And that's where the believers in Jesus would gather. And that's where the apostles would preach and teach the message of Jesus. So a lot of people heard their message and their messages, including the priests that were working just over there in the temple. The priests who would offer animal sacrifices in the temple. And one of the messages these priests no doubt heard was that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that Jesus sacrificed himself to pour out his blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. And Peter was one of the apostles that would preach this message on the court of the Gentiles to the masses of people that the priests heard. And I have no doubt that Peter preached what he later wrote down in one of his epistles. Check it out. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died, and I want you to say the next three words. Go ahead. Once for sins. Christ died once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous, that's him. The unrighteous, that's you and me. Why? Why would he do that? That he might bring us to God because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no reconciliation with a holy God. And I'm sure when the priests heard this message from Peter and John and the rest of the apostles, that they're thinking, if Christ has died, how many times? Once. If Christ has died once for sins, why in the world are we still bringing these animals to sacrifice in the temple? You see, these priests, they knew that three or four months earlier when Jesus died on the cross, that something supernatural happened in the holy place of the temple. They knew the veil had torn in half from top to bottom. And some of these priests were probably the ones who sewed the thing back up. And so if you remember at the end of the Gospels when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Tetelestai, it is finished, right? What happened in the Holy of Holies? The veil tore from top to bottom. And that's the best picture we could find, but it's far from the truth. The veil was actually the thickness of a man's hand. You can't just go up and tear a veil. That's a supernatural tearing. And so... What happened? What happened was the veil supernaturally tore in half from top to bottom, exposing the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant behind the veil. The Holy of Holies, that place where the high priest would enter once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he better have some blood when he walked into God's presence because God's presence dwelt in the Old Covenant above the mercy seat, between the cherubim, on that Ark of the Covenant. And if he didn't have blood, I'm telling you, he'd fall down dead because our God is a holy God. And he would walk once, once a year on the Day of Atonement and he would sprinkle the blood of bulls and goats on the mercy seat, the, the, the seat of appeasement, 
the seat of cleansing, the seat of covering, in order to, one more year, cover the sins of the people. And so, as the apostles on the court of the Gentiles had the time to study and had the time to teach and explain the meaning of the death of Christ, the inauguration of the new covenant, the passing away of the old covenant. Light bulbs went off in the minds of these priests and they realized that the Levitical system of animal sacrifices along with the Day of Atonement is no longer needed. Jesus has paid it all. And they got saved. They were born again. And the torn veil gave testimony to that. It's as if, ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. This is not some false gospel that you get so many times in churches today where it says just be a good person and work your way to heaven. That's a false gospel. This is a true gospel, what I'm telling you right now. It's all about grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You gotta trust him alone. And when that veil tore, it's as if the Father is shouting from heaven, look, the veil's torn. My son has paid it all. He's paid the full debt of every sin from Adam to the last person. He's paid it all. He's shed his blood. And now if you'll turn to Christ in faith, what will he do? He'll cleanse you of all your sins and you can come on in to the Holy of Holies and you won't get judged. You'll get a hug and I'll become your father, your Abba, your everything. I have a question for you this morning. Whether you're sitting in this room or watching online, do you have that relationship with a holy God? Has he not just become a judge, but now has he become your Abba Father, your daddy, and do you have that intimate relationship? It only happens through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it only happens when you stop trying and you start trusting and you look at Christ alone as your savior and your only hope. And so when the priests learned all these truths because the apostles had time to study, because they didn't have to go every day and do ministry, which was not a below them, but they just didn't have the time. When they had time to study and get into the word of God, they were able to explain these things. And as a result of the apostles' teaching, many priests, ladies and gentlemen, stopped sacrificing animals and I believe the Sanhedrin, you guys remember the Sanhedrin? The 71 most powerful men in Israel, the Supreme Court of Israel. I believe when the Sanhedrin found out at the end of verse seven that a great many of the priests became obedient to the Christian faith, that they got so angry, their heads exploded. <laughs> they were so mad. We're losing priests. Priests are becoming followers of Yeshua. Priests are listening to that guy Peter and that guy John and that guy Matthew. And we're losing the priests and they become so angry, their anger boils over onto one of the followers of Jesus, a Jewish man named Stephen. Okay, so I had to finish the sermon from four weeks ago and now we're gonna pick it up in verse eight and we'll just finish the chapter this morning. And so if you're looking at Acts 6, verse 8, just say amen. amen. And Stephen, full of, what's the word? Grace. grace. Full of grace and power. Jesus said back in Acts 1, 8, you will, you, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. And here we have a living example of that right here. Stephen's filled with grace, and he's filled with power, and he's being a witness, a faithful witness of Jesus. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And so, so far in our study of Acts, what we've seen is that the only ones who are doing miracles, signs and wonders in the power of God are the apostles. But now, it's changing a little bit. Now we see one of their associates and he's doing miracles, signs and wonders through the power of God. And I've said it before, at this time in biblical history, God is performing authentic, please say the word authentic, because a lot of this stuff is faked in our day to day. But God, at this time in biblical history, is doing authentic miracles, signs, and wonders through the apostles and their associates in order to authenticate their message, this radical message that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it says now in verse nine that some of those who belong to, you need to note this, the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed. The word disputed there in the original has the idea of a formal debate. They rose up and had a formal debate with Stephen. Okay, and so according to the Talmud, at this time, Jerusalem had 480 synagogues. And so in the synagogues, the Jews would gather, they would worship Yahweh, they would read Torah and the prophets, and they would uh, discuss theology. And so in verse nine, we see that there's these Jews from various parts of the Roman Empire, and they're in this um, synagogue of the freedmen, and it's most likely there that they're debating with Stephen. Now let me just explain to you, if you're new to the Bible, that first century evangelism of Jews was mostly done by Jews. And so Jews came to Jesus as their Messiah and they couldn't hold it in. So what they would do is they would go to the Jew first, then to the Greeks. And so they would go to the synagogues on Saturday and they would listen to the the reading of Torah and they would worship God and then they would take opportunities to share from the Jewish scriptures why Jesus and how we know that Jesus is the Messiah. And that apparently is what's happening here. Stephen is in the synagogue of the freedmen and he's in a formal debate with some other Jews. Jews that came from four areas, Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and Asia. So I want you to get an idea of the known world back in the first century AD, the Roman Empire. And so I want you to look at the bottom of the screen. You see Northern Africa. And then right to the left of the center of the screen, you see the area of Cyrene. So if you're looking at Cyrene, just say amen. So you got some Jews from that area in Jerusalem in a synagogue of the freedmen debating, disputing with Stephen. Then you follow the coast of Northern Africa to the east and you come down to the city of Alexandria right near the mouth of the Nile River just above the E in Egypt. If you're looking at Alexandria, say amen. And so you got some people from Alexandria that are debating with Stephen. By the way, in Cyrene, you remember Simon of Cyrene that helped Jesus carry the cross? That's where he's from. Simon of Cyrene, a a visiting Jerusalem, 
Um, I'm not gonna go into that whole sermon. But then you got Alexandria, and Alexandria is where a guy named Apollos is from. We'll be introduced to him, I think, in Acts 18. He's that amazing orator, great speaker of the word of God, and so he's from Alexandria. So you got some Jews from those areas, and now I want you to go on up the coast of Palestine, Israel there, uh, go up to Syria, and just northwest of Syria, above the island of Cyprus, there's an area called Cilicia. If you're looking at Cilicia, say amen. So you got some Jews from there that are debating with Stephen. By the way, does anybody know what famous person is from Cilicia? I'll give you a hint. He's from a town called Tarsus. Saul. A young man named Saul who later becomes Paul the Apostle. And so listen, could it be, I think so, could it be that a young man named Saul of Tarsus is debating with Stephen right now in the synagogue of the freedmen. He's a Jew, he's from Cilicia, and he's gonna be part of the story in Acts chapter seven. By the way, can you imagine being a fly on the wall listening to Saul of Tarsus, who's gonna become Paul, debating with Stephen? Saul, in his unbelieving days, when he hated Jesus and rejected Jesus, debating against Stephen, I tell you, I would pay some big bucks to hear that debate. And so you got Jews from Cyrene, Jews from Alexandria, Jews from Cilicia, and then finally you got some Jews from Asia, that's modern day Turkey, and you see that up there north of the Mediterranean Sea. Of course, that's where John's gonna write his seven letters to the seven churches whenever you get to the book of Revelation. And so Jews from all these areas are debating Stephen along with Jews from the synagogue of the freedmen. I've got to explain that before we move on. And so a little more content before we apply the message today. So what's a freedman? Okay, so if you go to Blue Letter Bible, you look it up. The word freedman is one who has been liberated from slavery, a freedman or the son of a freedman. Okay, quick history on this synagogue. In 63 BC, okay, so right now we're first century AD, go back about 100 years, 63 BC, you have the Roman general Pompey, and he conquers Jerusalem, he captures many Jews, and he takes them as slaves all the way to Rome. And so he, he imprisons, he, he puts in slavery these Jews from Jerusalem in Rome, and later those Jews are freed. When they're freed, they go back to Jerusalem and they build a synagogue and they name the synagogue after themselves. We're free, we're building the synagogue of the freedmen. Then you fast forward again to where we are in Acts 6, first century AD, you have people who are attend Jews who are attending the synagogue and they're the descendants of the freedmen who were slaves under the rule of Pompey. Does all that make sense? Okay, one person, so glad you guys are with me. And so basically what you have is you have this synagogue and you have a bunch of Jews who reject Jesus as Messiah and they're debating with one Jew who accepts Jesus as his Messiah and that's Stephen. Let's see how the debate goes. Look at verse 10. It says that they, that's the unbelieving Jews, could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit 
with which he, Stephen, was speaking. I love it, love it, love it. This verse is fascinating. It leads you to your next point if you're taking notes. Here's where we apply the word of God. Stephen was a man of God who was filled with the spirit of God, filled with wisdom from God, and filled with the word of God. That's the man that we're studying now and we're gonna keep studying in the future as we make our way through chapter seven. Stephen, a man of God, filled with the spirit, filled with wisdom, and filled with the word. So even though he wasn't an apostle, even though he wasn't a pastor, this layman was so filled with the spirit, so filled with wisdom, so filled with the word, that he absolutely ate their lunch in this debate. And again, I would love to have been there. What did, what did Stephen do? Stephen took the Jewish scriptures, right? The New Testament hasn't been completely written and, and put together at this time of history. He takes the Jewish scriptures. That means he takes the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the Tanakh, he takes their scriptures and he proves from their scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And as he debates these guys in verse 10, they cannot withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And I say, what an example for us today. What a challenge for us today. And so I want, I want to do a little spiritual inventory, right? You're here at church. I hope your heart's open to God. And I hope you're, you're seeking the Lord. Well, let's do a little spiritual inventory. If you're a man here today in this room, say amen. amen. All right, men, I want you to ask yourselves this question. In your own heart, don't answer out loud. Ask yourself this. Am I a man of God who's filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom and filled with the Word? Does that describe you? And all the ladies who are in the house today, please say amen. amen. Okay, so ask yourself the same question, just between you and the Lord, and be honest. Ask yourself, am I a woman of God who's filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom and filled with the Word? You see, that's God's will for our lives. And by the way, I don't, I don't, I don't, ask you to ask yourself that question so that you feel under condemnation, no, I'm not, no. I ask you that question because if you will become that man or you will become that woman, listen, you will have a life of peace and joy and by the way, excitement that you've never dreamed you could have. All of us need to ask ourselves the question, can we take the Jewish scriptures, we call it the Old Testament, and prove to somebody from the Jewish scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Can we do that? And also, can we take a New Testament? And can we show somebody from the New Testament, do we know where to go to show somebody that they're a sinner and they desperately need a savior? And you might say, well, in my defense, I'm not a pastor. And I would say, neither was Stephen. He wasn't a pastor, he wasn't an apostle. This guy was just a servant. He served widows, but guess what? He knew this book, he knew the word of God. 
And so how sad that so many Christians believe that the only people who need to concern themselves with being competent with the word of God are the quote unquote clergy. How sad when so many Christians today believe that the laity, the laity should not concern itself with reading and studying and meditating on the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, every Christian, clergy and laity, every Christian should be in this book every single day of their lives. Why? Because this is the way we grow. This is the way we develop. This is the way we get strong in our faith. Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word. There's 66 books. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that mean? That means that the Bible is our spiritual bread. And then Peter, later on, he writes this, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so not only is the Bible our spiritual bread, it's also our spiritual milk. It's our food and it's our drink. And if we have any chance of growing spiritually, we must eat it and we must drink it regularly. Listen to the word of God. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, all scriptures, okay, so everybody look at me. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete. The word complete there has the idea of competent, equipped for every good work. I don't know if you've noticed, but biblical literacy among Christians today has plummeted. And it's time to get back to the Bible. It's time to get back to our foundation. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof. Let me say this, it's not in the notes, but it's free. If you are all into yourself, if you're the center of your world, then you wanna go to a church where every single Sunday they give you a pep talk on how you can be more healthy and how you can be more wealthy and how you can be more prosperous if you're all into yourself. But if, in you, if you're into Jesus Christ, if he's the center of your life, you're gonna wanna go to a church that teaches the word of God. Why? So that you can learn to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus who knows how to die to themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ until they die, the day they die. There's a difference. There's a difference. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. But the problem is in churches today, we don't even bring our Bibles and we don't even preach it or teach it anymore. We get some pep talk about how I can be a better me. It's not right. There's a difference. Make sure you go to the church that's Christ-centered and teaches the word of God and makes disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And so if you have not been meditating on God's word, you gotta make a plan to do so. Listen, if you just say, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do this, it's not gonna happen. You gotta make a plan, a daily plan. And I suggest, I'm gonna give you some suggestions. Some of you guys have some great tools that you use. Okay, these are Pastor Mike's suggestions. And so, I suggest Blue Letter Bible. 
blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. Okay, the Blue Letter Bible offers an array of in-depth tools to help you learn God's word. And so there's lexicons, dictionaries, concordances, various translations. There's cross-references, commentaries, devotionals, maps, and it's all free. Unless you wanna give a donation that's between you and the Lord to their ministry. But before you get started, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Before you get started, you gotta go to the top and click on help, and you gotta watch some of those video tutorials. Otherwise, you're gonna be lost, okay? And so that still is a great website, solid, solid commentary and tools on that website. Another great website is called Enduring Word. And so it's EnduringWord.com. And so Enduring Word features the teaching ministry of David Guzik, Pastor David Guzik, who's a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor. And so his website as well gives a lot of great solid resources. And my favorite is if you scroll down, he has commentary, check this out, on every book of the Bible. And so it's solid, solid stuff. I would love to have uh, David Guzik come here and speak um, some weekend. Um, you know, he, he did commentary on the entire book of Revelation. And so someone in our church graciously interpreted his whole commentary on Revelation into French and I was able to use that. I did a pastor's conference in Haiti last year with over 100 Haitian leaders, and we were able to give them, because by the way of your faithful giving, we were able to give them David Guzik's commentary on Revelation in French. Solid Bible teacher, I highly recommend his site. If you have any Bible questions, you've heard me say this before, I encourage you to go to gotquestions.org. Great, great website. They've answered 570,483 Bible questions to this day. And so they've got it pretty much covered there. And I would say that after looking at this website for years, I would agree, the pastors in this church would agree with probably 95% of those answers. And so that's a pretty good percentage point. There's a few things that we might not see eye to eye on, but we strongly recommend gotquestions.org. Now, if you're old school like me, and you wanna actually hold a Bible instead of looking at a screen, I'm just wondering, how many people would rather hold the Bible than look at a screen? Okay, yeah, that's, that's good. There were a lot more hands in the first service. <laughs> but a younger crowd here today, and that's fine, that's great, if you wanna use your fake Bible on your phone. <laughs> Go ahead, just kidding. Let's, let's move on before I get egged, okay? And so if you like to hold a Bible, this is the one I have my devotions in in the morning. This is the Ryrie Study Bible. I teach out of the ESV, but uh, Charles Ryrie, another great pastor. He's with the Lord. I love his comments at the bottom of each page. And so that's a great, great tool. By the way, did you hear that Warren Wearsby died last week? So Warren Wearsby um, up there with Charles Ryrie. These are guys, you know, that I admire um, just because they were faithful and they ended well. They ended well. And so um, these are some tools that I suggest uh, to you. There's a lot of other great tools that are out there. But listen, there's also a lot of garbage that's out there. Don't Google your theology. And make sure that you get some help. If you have any questions about a certain speaker, a certain author, 
a certain website. Make sure you come to one of the pastors in this church, bounce those names off of them. They would love to be able to point you in the right direction. But I'm telling you, there's some theological liberalism out there that will absolutely destroy your faith. And so make sure you get the right tools and the tools that teach truth. And so because they couldn't win their debate with Stephen, the unbelieving Jews decided, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Did they join Stephen? No, no, no. Here's their motto. If you can't beat them, we'll smear his name all over Jerusalem. That's what happens. Look at verse 11. It says they secretly instigated. The word in the Greek has the idea of paying off. They secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And by the way, the penalty for blasphemy was death by stoning. Look at verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him. They're getting violent here and brought him before the council. The council, of course, is the Sanhedrin, the 71 most powerful men in Israel. Verse 13, and they set up, what kind of witnesses? False witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law, the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And so these guys are doing the same thing to Stephen that they did three or four months earlier to Jesus. They set up false witnesses against Stephen to twist his words and misrepresent him. And the truth is, Stephen did not speak blasphemous words against Moses or the temple or God. Now, concerning the law of Moses, he may have said this. He may have said, well, you know, Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. But that's not blasphemy. That's truth. Concerning the, the temple, he may have said, hey, animal sacrifices are no longer needed to atone for sin. Jesus paid it all. He may have said that. That's not blasphemy. That's truth. And concerning God, he may have said, you know, Yeshua is the eternal son of God who proceeds from the Father. He and the Father are one. If you've seen Yeshua, you've seen the Father. He may have said that. That's not blasphemy. That's truth. But they set up false witnesses against him. And in doing so, these Jews broke their own commandment. Commandment number nine. Remember the Big Ten? Commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, so they're smearing his name. They're breaking their own law. But, but, how many of you are happy and glad that we have a merciful God? You know, how many of you are glad because, hey, we're just as guilty as the Sanhedrin. We're just as much sinners as the Sanhedrin. How many of you glad, are glad that God's merciful and patient and long-suffering? If you are, can you let him know? Okay, and so here's what God does. He's so merciful, he does something unique in order to try one more time. Maybe they got some more chances later, but we know that 
it's all gonna end bad in AD 70. But he's trying to reach these guys. And so look at what he does in verse 15, last verse today. So the Sanhedrin is looking at Stephen and it says in verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. How did Stephen respond to all this turmoil, all this angst, all this violence, this anger? How does he, how does he respond to it? Does he have a face of fear? Is Stephen like, oh no, they, they use the word blasphemy. I could get killed for this. Did he have a face of fear, yes or no? Did he have a face of anger? You know, how, how dare you accuse me, lie about me, you blankety beep. Is that, is that how he responds? <laughs> no. No. Check it out. Stephen was so filled with the Spirit and so filled with wisdom and so filled with the Word of God that instead of having a, a, a look of anger, instead of having a look of fear, he has a look of radiance. It says in verse 15 that his face was like the face of an angel, right in front of the 71 most powerful men in Israel. This is a cool act of God right here, an act of mercy. And so did you know, by the way, we can have the same experience? Now, I'm not saying God will light up your face. I had a memory this, just this morning, uh, it's, it's a 30-something-year-old memory from when I was in a youth group in a church, and I know I'm getting old, but I remember uh, a, a girl in the student ministry spending a lot of time with God in prayer and the word, and then after she spent time with God, she would go to each of us in the student ministry and she would say, is my face glowing? <laughs> I don't know why that came to my head this morning. But, but listen, kids, but listen, we may not have a face that's lit up, but listen, God will light up our hearts with peace that surpasses all understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is where I'm talking about relationship again, not religion. If you're here just checking a box, going to church because you wanna do your religious duty, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I've been in situations of fear and I've been in situations of turmoil where the Spirit of God just comes and gives me this incredible peace right in the midst of the storm and it's not because I'm so good, it's because he's so good. And that's what he wants to do in your life. By the way, do you guys remember another time when somebody's face lit up and glowed in the Bible? Yeah, I heard his name, Moses, Exodus 34. Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord on Mount Sinai. And then he came down from the mountain. Do you remember? You saw the movie, right? He had the, the two tablets. He's walking down the Ten Commandments. And the scripture says this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. And so here's what I think is what's going on in Acts chapter six. I believe a merciful God made Stephen's face shine 
to remind the Sanhedrin, who knew this passage, to remind the Sanhedrin of this passage in Exodus 34. I believe a merciful God is causing Stephen's face to shine to give these guys another chance to see how wrong they are about Jesus and how much they need to repent and turn to Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because God is merciful. It's as if God is saying to the Sanhedrin, guys, wake up. Stephen's not against Moses. He's like Moses. Look at his face. And yet, they harden their hearts. It's scary. I personally don't believe God forces himself on anybody. I believe God's a gentleman and he calls and he woos and the ball goes at our court. And how much, how many times did these guys hear truth? The 71 most powerful men in, the, in Israel. Jesus Christ, the son of God, stood before these same 71 men and he gave them truth, but they hardened their hearts. And then in Acts chapter four, you have uh, Peter and John, same group of men sharing truth, they hardened their hearts. Acts chapter five, you got all 12 apostles rounded up. Same 71 men, they're sharing truth. These guys harden their hearts. And now, you got Stephen. In Acts six, and definitely Acts seven, he shares truth. What do they do? They harden their hearts. But why does God give these guys so many chances? Here's why, 2 Peter 3, 9, because he's patient with you and us not wanting anyone to perish, but how many people come to repentance? Everyone, everyone. That's our God. So he gives us chance after chance after chance. Perhaps I'm speaking to somebody here this afternoon. Perhaps you've heard the truth and heard the truth and heard the truth, but for whatever reason you keep saying no or later or I'll get to that later in life, I wanna have some fun first, whatever. I just wanna to say to you that you may not always have opportunities to come to Christ and get right with God. In fact, I want you to see what the author of Hebrews says in quoting Psalm 95. What's that first verse? Shout it out. Today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I believe every time somebody hardens their heart against the truth, their heart gets a little harder, right? And so they hear truth, they say no, and it gets harder. And then they, a little later in life, they hear truth again, no, it gets a little harder. And then they hear truth and truth, no, 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 it keeps getting harder and harder until their heart becomes in, impenetrable. And the next thing you know, they close their eyes and die and they wake up in hell. Is it because God didn't woo? Is it because God didn't draw? Is it because God's not merciful and God's not loving? No, 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 today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. I don't want that to happen to anybody in this room or anybody watching on Facebook. God is good, he loves you more than you'll ever know. He paid the price of his own blood to reconcile us to him. He's done everything that he can do. The question is, will you, will you choose Christ? Will you, Christian, who's living like a prodigal son, 
or a prodigal daughter, will you come back to Jesus Christ?